Welcome to the Ridge University Podcast, a place to listen, learn, and discover tools for living. Now here's your host, Ridge Director of Discipleship, Will Heron. Well, welcome everyone. So good to have you. My name is Will Heron. I'm your host for this Ridge University Faith and Finance podcast series. So good to have my friend Travis Shelton with me for the series. Travis, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Travis, in our first episode, we talked about God's ownership and how that affects how we kind of view, subsequently use the money that we have. Uh, Now we're going to move on to our second key principle here, which is the role of contentment. And this is a really interesting one, particularly is how we kind of think culture and the world that we live in or the Western world uh, really views contentment. Can we just start there? Well, what does the world think? What's contentment? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I mean, I think contentment is not a virtue in in our modern culture, our Mm. modern Western culture. And I think we live in a society that says more is good. And if, if more is good, then more than more is better and mm. so on. And I always say the problem with more is that every time you get more, more is still, well, still it's more. more. Yeah. And I think that we find ourselves like a hamster on a wheel and we're running really fast, but we're not going anywhere. And eventually we just get exhausted. Mm. And I think that's what a lack of contentment can do for us. And we live in a culture and we, you know, we see, I don't know what the, the statistics are. We see thousands of ads a day everywhere. Everywhere we go, there's ads. And ads, the job is to tell us that we need this new thing, bigger, faster, shinier, cooler, trendier. Mm. And we need these things. And, and I think the, the, one of the risks of this, or one of the, I think one of the, the downfalls of this is that these things do provide an instant gratification. There's a dopamine hit when we get that new car or that new iPhone. We get, we get something out of that experience, and then we want that again. Mm. And I think it sends us down this path of more. Because when we have more, it's an external, it's an external signal of how successful I am or how good I'm doing. Right. And especially in the world of social media, when everybody's posting, I just bought this house, look at this car, look at this amazing trip we just went on. Mm. You get on social media for three minutes and you feel like you feel bad about your own life mm. because all you'd see is how everyone else is living this other existence. Right. And we just compare and we compare and we compare and we fall into that curse of comparison. It's, it's a bad road. Can we just stay there for, for a moment? What do you think that kind of being in a perpetual sense of lack does for people, you know, negatively? Because being exposed to all these commercials and then being exposed to things on social media, just kind of like you're saying, you can feel like you're living a lot in that sense of I don't have enough or, you know, and I don't have as much as so-and-so or man, I, I really do need that. So what, what, why is that? What negative effect is that having on us, you think? It reminds me of I had a basketball coach when I was growing up, and I was I was a really fast player. I wasn't tall, I was fast. And he said, Travis, no matter how fast you are, there's gonna be somebody that's faster. Mm. And it was like a it was a way for him to 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 show me that I'm never going to be the best. And if I'm always comparing myself 
to somebody else, I'm always going to lose. And I think we do that a lot. It doesn't matter how good we have it. We can always look at that one person in our life that has a little bit more, mm. that has a little bit bigger house, that drives a little bit nicer car, that goes on a little bit nicer trips. And when we compare ourselves like that, we just continually tell ourselves a story. Then the story is that we're not good enough and that we need better. What do you think as you kind of, so you've made some cultural observations there, uh, particularly in the West. Uh, what is it do you think that people are searching for in the more like that, that, that hunger inside of them for, you know, the car, the, the house, the possessions, the status, the, you know, I think they're promotion. searching. I think they're searching for happiness. I think people inherently want to be happy. They want to feel good. And these things provide it for a moment. Mm. And that's the, that's the downfall of, 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 lack of contentment because nothing can fully satisfy that and behavioral. I love, I love when science takes a look at something and what they find is not what they expect. And I I think about these, they've done these studies and these are very secular non-Christian studies. And they've done studies about does, does money make us happy? And they've been studying this for probably for hundreds of years but there's a couple famous studies. What they found is that money makes us really, really happy until our needs are met. Mm. If you think about that, that makes sense that if you can, if you don't have the lights on and you don't have running water and you're at the risk of getting evicted every month, more money will help smooth that out and right. will, will in turn create some level of happiness because those are just basic needs that we need met. So what they found is that as we make more and our needs are met, we do get progressively happier with more money. Mm-hmm. Now, what we do in our human brains is that we say, okay, great. That money made me really happy. So then, of course, from here on out, more money will continue to make me happier. Mm. But what the studies have shown is that once our needs are met, plus a little bit, the incremental happiness we experience tapers off down to almost nothing. That's really interesting. But behaviorally, we experience a tremendous amount of happiness going from we can't even stay in this apartment to where we're at now. And then so we we just think to ourselves, so more is going to obviously continue to ramp our happiness up and we jump on that hamster wheel because Mm. we think that's the answer. And I love that science ultimately has pointed back to what God has been saying the whole time, which is, that's not the answer. Mm. He's, he says, he says he is what we're looking for, not this materialistic existence. Right. And as we progress at looking some of these principles over the next few episodes, I think it's, it's helpful for us to think about the heart behind some of these things. You know, we're going to look at, at some symptoms really where people have been searching for a particular thing, but in the wrong place. You know, whether it is an excess of money or possessions, whatever it might be. So it's helpful for us to think about the heart behind uh, what we're seeing. And people search for contentment. People search for a sense of, um, of peace and stability 
and acceptance, those are all good desires. It's just that I think so often we see people just pursuing those things in possessions or in a status at work or in a status in your social circles, whatever it might be. So just kind of leading us back to contentment, what do you see the Bible saying on this, Travis? What is the the alternative path, you know, rather than just seeking for more and more and more and just getting temporarily satisfied? I think there's scriptures woven throughout the Bible, but the one that always sticks out to me is Philippians 4, 12, and 13. And it says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Mm. That's Paul, the Apostle Paul. And and I, I think about that. I think about this idea that to be in need and to, to have plenty, I think a lot of us can relate to that. And, and I think we look at our, our own situations and we have to look in the mirror and say, what is making us happy? What's truly making us happy? Is it, is it this stuff or is it, is it what only God can provide? And I, always, and, I'm, and I always want to come back and say, I'm not demonizing having things. I'm not demonizing spending on wants. And we're going to talk about that in a future episode. It's not about we shouldn't. It's about knowing where our value comes from. Yeah, our value does not come from this stuff. Back to a real life story. I've never told you the story because this is a brand new story. I, I wrote a blog about it the, last week. But I was recently meeting with a couple and this couple gave me permission to share the story, by the way. Um, but they said, they told me in this one conversation we had, they said they make 525000 a year. Mm. They told me it's not enough to live in this town. Mm. And by this town, they mean a town where the median household income is $85,000. Wow. And they were, they were adamant that 525000 is not enough to live where they live. And... I, I, in some regards, I, I couldn't believe it, but I do. I, I, I can believe it because I think a lot of us, this is where we're at. And this is my role in life is to help people navigate that, you know, their perspectives on this. So I, I, in the, in the midst of that, I went to another client and this client makes about 80 grand, 80,000. And I asked them, what do they think? And they said, they said, you know, we wish we would make a little bit more, but they feel pretty content with, with where they're at and they, all their needs are met. And the difference is the family that makes 80,000, they have genuine contentment. They know where their value comes from. And do they wish they made a little bit more? Yes, they do. But they are content. And I know they are because I walk mm-hmm. alongside of them. But yet you have another family who makes over a half million a year in the Midwest and they feel stress. They have tension, no contentment. It's always wanting more. And I think that's just a real life example of what contentment can look like and what a lack of contentment can look like. Mm. So what do you, what do you think is behind that lack of contentment? Like how would you coach that um, couple earning half a million to make that shift? Like what steps are you encouraging them to, to do? One of the things I always do is ask them, 
what what makes you happy? What adds value to your life? Where do you find the most joy? And ask them to in, in ask them to give me their sincere answer. And the sincere answer is never the material things. They will always say, "It's our it's our church, or it's our friends, or it's our children, or it's spending meaningful time together, or it's serving at this this organization, mm. or it's knowing that our kids are going to go to college." It's always those things. But when you compare that to their behavior, they're incongruent. Their behavior is saying these other things are more valuable to them. And when you can show, when you can, when you can look in the mirror and look at what is your behavior and what are your values, and when you see they're not aligned, that can be a real wake-up call. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, for me, one of the things that, that creates contentment, if I'm feeling a lack of contentment in my own life, and I think it's, it's a day-to-day thing. It's a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. Mm. When I'm feeling a lack of, of contentment, generosity helps. Whenever we give, it can reset us and help us recognize we're going to be okay, mm. that God's going to provide for us. And, and I think that alone, that act of generosity, whether it's a big gift or a little gift, the act of generosity will help reset contentment in our own hearts. Because I think we all need a reset. And, and I think where, where I op- most often need a reset is after I spend some time on social media. Right. That's where I need my reset. That's good. Uh, Travis, can we just come back to the scripture you mentioned, Philippians 4? You know, the Apostle Paul, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. just think it's interesting to think that really true contentment requires trust. Uh, You know, I I think the Apostle Paul just trusting in God in those different seasons. You know, we we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, Um, but trusting God, you know, whether in the seasons of abundance or seasons where we're in need and, and those kind of things. But I think also contentment has to do with trusting God in each season for what he gives us, you know? Um, and sometimes we can, sometimes we can take ourselves out of the present and just lose um, moments in the present and enjoying the present, what we have in the present, because we're so preoccupied with what we could have in the future, and so I think that's an, that's another benefit of what contentment does. It roots us in the present and helps us to see what God has has provided in front of us. Another thing that I think about often when I think about it in my own life, I think about it when I'm walking alongside of people. But it's this idea that contentment, and this is kind of a secular quote, but Contentment is, it's not about wanting less. It's about wanting less. Mm. So it's not about wanting to have less, but it's about, it's having a less of the act of wanting. And, and, and I think that really ties to what you just said. Want, the act of wanting is, is dreaming about the future and dwelling on what could be. Whereas contentment is being able to enjoy the present. Mm. And, I, and we experience this in our in our own 
journey. And some, a lot of people know our story, but, but many don't. But when I left my prior career, my family took a 90% pay cut. And that was scary. And I always knew, I always thought about this idea of trusting God to provide. But here I was in this stage of life about three and a half years ago where I had no option but to trust God to provide. And that really changed me. And I think it changed my wife. When you have nothing but trust, when you take a step that's very scary, that's very countercultural, and and a very dumb decision in the eyes of many, why would you leave a job that pays a lot of money to go do something that's very uncertain and that's not secure, it's not safe? And I think when we're forced to trust God to provide, that can really change our perspective on what what contentment can mean and what it what it should mean. Mm. And and I'm not saying that we should all force ourselves force ourselves into a position where we're in a very tough spot. But I think when we have those moments where we have an opportunity and we have nothing but trust, it exposes us for, for what God really is. And I think those are really humbling moments. And I think we should, we should all strive to have more of those moments where we have to trust God. And that, that may be we put ourselves in an uncomfortable position and we do something that's scary or we make a, a decision that's very selfless and we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you that you're going to take care of me through this. Mm-hmm. And when we have those moments, I think it changes us. I appreciate you sharing that, Travis. I, I think it helps us think about again kind of what we've been talking about here, like where does contentment come from? And really our contentment is is rooted in our relationship with God. It's rooted in something that is eternal and stable and steadfast. And when we're rooting our contentment in, uh, you know, how much we have in our bank account or what kind of vehicle that we have sitting in the driveway or those kind of things or our position that we have at work. I think those things are, are unstable in that sense. And uh, that also, I think, frees us up to follow after the Lord and whatever he might have. And if it means taking a 90% pay cut, you can step into that because it's just like my contentment in life is not rooted because I have to earn X amount of money. My contentment is rooted in the fact that I I'm in relationship with God. I've been made to follow after him. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. You know? And that is contentment, um, you know, of, of resting in the fact that we are walking in the ways of, of the Lord, you know, and we're following after him. And that when you come to the end of your life, the contentment for you, Travis, isn't, isn't that you now live, live in a six-bedroom with three Maserati, Maseratis in the garage and whatever it might be, we're being, you know, yeah. using excessive examples, but, but actually contentment for you is more a sense of uh, the way in which you followed after God's dreams for your life. Uh, yeah. Thank, thank you for saying that. I think about you have what's eternal and you have what's very temporary. And I was thinking about this this topic of what's temporary recently. And it dwelled on me. I was, I was sitting in my house and I looked around and I thought to myself, 
every single thing in this room is going to be in a landfill very soon. Mm. And it was, it's kind of a depressing thought. Everything I own in a number of years will be in a landfill. Mm. And I thought to myself, how temporary is this? Right. And I, 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 I really enjoy some of these things that I have. I enjoy having a phone and a computer and my TV. Mm. I enjoy these things and that's okay. But I also recognize at the same time, it is very temporary. Mm. And they're going to, going to be in a landfill soon. But, but legacy and your relationship with God, that's, that's eternal. Yes. Uh, well, Travis, again, just appreciate you being here, your wisdom, sharing of your stories. And thank you for listening again to this Ridge University podcast. I hope you'll join us uh, for our next episode. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you are interested in finding ways to live out your faith, why not head to our church website, ridgelife.org. There, you'll find opportunities to serve in the church and in our local community. You'll also discover ways to get involved in community groups. One of the best ways to find support and encouragement as you seek to live out what you're learning from the Bible. Head to ridgelife.org for more details. 